It's amazing the different circumstances that people are experiencing in their lives right now with a wide variety. Just this morning, I was talking with someone here who's helping us uh, in our worship service who let me know that someone in our congregation has just been diagnosed with COVID-19. Doing very well, but of course, just uh, catches your breath and uh, catches your attention and someone that we need to be praying for. I was talking with Chris today who uh, opened with Pastor Lindsay and he's getting ready to celebrate the first birthday of his daughter uh, with his wife, Nikki, and they're super excited about that. Uh, and at the same time, uh, he said that there's a lot of his family that have not had a chance to meet his daughter in person because of the pandemic. Uh, this past week, we had someone in the church uh, who became grandparents for the very first time and they were so excited about that, of course, and just giving God thanks and praise. But they weren't able to be at the hospital when the baby was born and had to wait a few days before they could hold their own grandchild in their arms. Also in the past week, uh, someone in our church uh, had a loved one who passed away who lives in a different state. And uh, she passed away by herself because none of the family was allowed to be with her in person because of the pandemic. And just last night, I was talking to someone in our congregation who has been struggling financially and is working six different part-time jobs just to make it. So a lot of struggles going on right now in, in our church world, in our church community. And at the same time, I've also been talking recently with people in our congregation who have a lot of good news. Some of them have started new jobs. Some have graduated. Some uh, have gotten married. Some uh, have gotten the news that they are expecting their first child. Others have moved into a new home. And so in the midst of just our congregation, so many different circumstances that are happening. Some are great and some are not, and some are in the middle. And I'm, I'm guessing wherever you are in your life right now that, that you probably have some great circumstances going on and you have some less than desirable circumstances happening in your life. And so as we're thinking about getting a fresh start with our, our sermon series, uh, today we're going to talk about getting a fresh start with our circumstances. Now some of our circumstances we want to continue. And some of our circumstances, though, we need a fresh start. And so where do we look to get an idea of, of stepping in the new year? We need a, a fresh start with circumstances. What does that look like from God's perspective? Well, today we're going to meet someone named Joseph who had the full gamut of ultimate circumstances to the bottom of the bottom of circumstances. And yet in the midst of that, he found a way forward as God was in his life. And so... Wherever you are in your life right now, good circumstances, terrible circumstances, both types of circumstances, let's look at what we can learn from the story of Joseph as it helps us get a fresh start in our lives with our circumstances. So we're going to be about 2,000 years before Jesus is born. We're going to be in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Uh, we've looked at some of Genesis in this series, and even last week uh, we were looking at some of these stories. Uh, and if you remember, in the book of Genesis, God says to a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah that I want to make your family into a great nation, the nation of Israel. And through your family, through this nation, I'm going to bless the entire world. And from the nation of Israel came Jesus, the Son of God, who is our Savior, who came to the earth to give us life to the full now and life forever in the kingdom of heaven. And so God's covenant with Abraham and Sarah came true. And so we're seeing the early part of that covenant taking place. And so Abraham and Sarah uh, had a son named Isaac, and he and his wife had a son named Jacob. And Jacob and, and his wife, actually wives, he had multiple wives, wouldn't advise that. But uh, 
they had 12 sons. And that's where we pick up the story today. Jacob's 12 sons are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. And the nation is really going to take off and, and really grow. And so we're with Jacob's sons, uh, the 12 sons. And if you remember last week, we talked about Jacob uh, and his father Isaac and his mom Rebecca. They did something that wasn't very smart in parenting. They had two boys, Esau and Jacob, and they played favorites. One of them favored the one son, the other favored the other son. This didn't go well. In fact, Esau threatened to kill Jacob. Jacob had to go away for 20 years in exile. If you missed that message, I invite you to go back and check that out on our website or on our YouTube page, uh, and you can catch up, up to speed on that. But we fast forward the story now. Jacob has 12 sons. Again, they're going to be the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're going to be this huge nation. And Jacob has learned a lot of lessons, but one lesson he forgot to learn was playing favorites. And so Jacob has a favorite son of the 12, and his name is Joseph, and he was born near the end. Uh, and so he's one of the younger sons. And Jacob doesn't really hide the fact that he favors Joseph over the other sons. He gives uh, Joseph this amazing coat of many colors. You might have heard of this. Uh, they've been plays and all kinds of things. The, the Technicolor dream coat, I don't know that that was the original uh, Hebrew meaning in that, but he gave Joseph this coat that had many colors and what it meant was that he was a favored son. And so this didn't sit well with Joseph's other brothers. Now on top of that, when Joseph was 17 years old, he had a couple of dreams that seemed kind of crazy, but in those dreams, what, it, what it, the dreams symbolized were that at one point in the future, Joseph's family, including his brothers, would bow down to him. Now Joseph at the time was 17 years old, and uh, he, he might not have been at the height of maturity because when, as soon as he had these dreams, he went and told his brothers about them and said, one day you're going to bow down to me. Now, the Bible doesn't make it clear, but I just kind of envision in my mind that when Joseph delivered the news, he's kind of like, nah, 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 nah. You're going to bow down to me one day, right? I'm in charge. And so that didn't go well with his brothers either. So one day, the brothers were out doing their thing, and they see Joseph coming along, probably wearing his coat of many colors, and they look at him and they say, here comes that dreamer. And they're so full of anger and envy and jealousy that they say to themselves and they and they're serious when he gets here let's kill him we've had enough of joseph we've had enough of the favored brother we've had enough of the big dreamer and so we're going to put an end to that and when joseph comes up they rough him up they beat him up they throw him down into a pit and they're ready to kill him uh, but one of the brothers says well maybe we don't need to kill him that might be taking it a step too far and so what the brothers decide to do is to sell Joseph into slavery. They sell him into slavery, uh, and, the, and the slave traders take Joseph down to Egypt. It's a, it's a neighboring country of Israel. And sometimes the Israelites and Egyptians get along, sometimes they don't. Uh, but it's not a good situation for Joseph. His brothers have thought about killing him, they beat him up, and now they basically have human trafficked him into slavery. And they grab his coat of many colors and they rip it up and they kill an animal and put blood on it and they take it back to their father and they say to him that your son Joseph is dead. Of course, they're lying, but uh, it's pretty much close to the truth. And so now Jacob believes that his favored son is dead and he, of course, goes into a great deal of mourning. Great circumstances for Joseph right at the beginning. 
right? The favored son wearing the coat has these dreams that evidently are from God that he's going to be superior in some kind of way. So some set of circumstances on the top of the world and now it's absolutely opposite. His family's betrayed him. They've sold him into slavery. He's in a foreign land. And so you talk about a shift in circumstances, needing a fresh start in circumstances. This is the guy. Joseph's facing incredibly challenging circumstances and he gets sold into slavery and he's bought by not just any person. He's bought by a man named Potiphar in Egypt who is the captain of the guard. He's kind of like in charge of the whole army of Egypt. So this is an important person that has bought Joseph. And Joseph immediately begins to show some maturity. He works hard for Potiphar and pretty soon he's in charge of Potiphar's entire household. All right, let's check this out in the book of Genesis and see what it says to us this morning. We can go to that first scripture, Genesis 39, 2. The Lord was with Joseph, right? Joseph's in a terrible set of circumstances, and yet it says the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Right? So even in these terrible circumstances, Joseph was not alone. God was with him, and he prospered. And again, he rose to like the, the, the lead person taking care of Potiphar's household. And Potiphar treated him well. And so Joseph's circumstances went from bad to better, right? And so God was with him and helped him to prosper. Now in the midst of this, Potiphar's wife, we don't have her name, uh, but Potiphar's wife became enamored with Joseph and she made him an offer. She wanted to enter into a romantic relationship with Joseph and Joseph knew that was wrong. It was the wrong thing to do. And so he refused that situation. And, and he didn't want to betray Potiphar, who had been good to him. And so Joseph said, thanks, but no thanks. Well, this enraged Potiphar's wife. And so what she did was she made up a lie. She said that Joseph approached her wanting the romantic relationship, and she spurned him. And so now when Potiphar hears this, Joseph is falsely accused. Of course, he believes his wife. And so what Potiphar does is he has Joseph thrown into prison, to an Egyptian prison, which I'm guessing is not the most pleasant place to be for Joseph 2,000 years before Jesus' birth, right? And so again, Joseph's on top of the world. He does nothing wrong. In fact, he does everything right. He has a false accusation, and now he finds himself in an Egyptian prison. So again, he went from the best circumstances to the worst circumstances, needs a fresh start with his circumstances, and so let's see what happens to Joseph in that prison. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Right? So Joseph ends up in the Egyptian prison. He's a model prisoner. The warden thinks highly of him. And so Joseph is pretty much now elevated like a top prisoner. He's kind of like helping to run the prison and things are going really well, right? So in these terrible circumstances where Joseph, I'm sure at some point was scared and afraid and feeling lonely and abandoned, right? He still was not alone. The Lord was with him and God worked with Joseph in these horrible situations as a slave, as a prisoner being somewhere that he didn't deserve to be. God was with him and brought good into Joseph's life. And while Joseph was in prison, he met some uh, significant prisoners, right? The ruler of Egypt in that time, the king of, of Egypt was called a Pharaoh. 
And, and Pharaoh had imprisoned two of his servants, the butler and the baker. The butler and the baker had gotten on the wrong side of Pharaoh. They'd been thrown into prison. And while they were there, they, like Joseph, had some crazy dreams. And they couldn't understand what those dreams were. And, and God gave Joseph the wisdom to interpret the dreams. And, and, the, and the dream for the butler was a good dream, right? That Pharaoh's going to forgive you, you're going to be out of jail, and everything's going to be restored for you. Now, the baker, the dream that he had was that Pharaoh was tired of him and was going to end his life, which is what exactly happened. So the baker was killed, and the butler was released. And, and Joseph said before the butler was released from prison, hey, remember me, right? right? Things are better for me in prison, but I'm still in prison, and I'd like to get out of prison. Remember me when you get out of here and maybe you could put a nice word in for Pharaoh and get me out of jail. And you think the butler would have, you know, given Joseph some help in that, but the scripture says that the butler, as soon as he got out of jail, forgot Joseph, forgot all about him. And so Joseph was sitting in jail for two more years for something that he hadn't done. And the butler forgot about Joseph uh, until Pharaoh himself began to have these crazy dreams. Pharaoh ha was having dreams kind of like this. There were seven fat cows and seven skinny cows, and the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows. And you know what the seven fat cows said to the seven skinny cows, right, before they got eaten? Eat more chicken, right? Okay, all right, so that's a lame joke, but it's funny. I don't know. Anyway, eat more chicken. They don't eat the chicken. The skinny cows eat the fat cows, and Pharaoh can't figure out this dream. His advisors can't figure out this dream. Nobody can figure out this dream. But the butler of Pharaoh says, hey, wait a second. I remember now. There's this guy in prison. His name's Joseph, and he helped me with my dream. And Pharaoh, maybe he could help you with your dream. And so Joseph comes, and he tells Pharaoh what the dream is. He tells Pharaoh what the, what the meaning is. He says, Pharaoh, we're going to have in Egypt seven years of plenty. Right? We're going to have seven great years, and then we're going to have seven years of famine. Right? So the seven fat cows were the seven years of you know, surplus, and the seven skinny cows are going to be the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh, you need to get ready for that. Right? So this is what Pharaoh says to Joseph in response. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, right? God is still with Joseph. God has made this known to you. Only God could give you the meaning of my dreams. There's no one so discerning and wise as you. Can we go to the next slide? You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Joseph says to Pharaoh, I mean, Pharaoh says to Joseph, Hey, look, Joseph, man, only God can give you this knowledge. You know what's coming. I need you to lead the nation, right? I'm going to be top, you're going to be second in command of all of Egypt, and we need to get through this famine that's coming, right? And, and so Joseph comes up with this idea that in the seven years of plenty, all right, we're going, to we're going to eat some, but we're going to save a lot of food. We're going to store it up so that when we get to the seven years of famine, we're going to have enough food. And so this is what Joseph does. And, and you think about, right, going from terrible circumstances, being in a prison where you don't deserve to be, 
to now being second in command of an entire nation that you're not even a native member of, right? You're an immigrant into Egypt, and now you're like the vice president of this whole nation so that you can help save people's lives. Right? You talk about a, a, a shift, a fresh start in circumstances. Joseph has gone through the roller coaster again, from the top to the bottom, from the bottom to the top, because why? God was with Joseph. And so that's exactly what they do. They save up all this food. And when the years of famine begin to come in, the Egyptians are fed. And not only Egyptians, but people from neighboring countries come to Egypt and they are fed. Uh, and it's just this amazing thing how God uses Joseph. And guess who comes before Joseph in the midst of all of this? Of course, his brothers, right, who sold him into slavery. They come. And, you know, Joseph was 17 when he left. He's probably close to 40 by now. When, when the brothers come, they don't recognize who he is. He's talking Egyptian, all that kind of stuff. And he kind of messes with his brothers just a little bit. If you want to read about that in the, in the latter chapters of the book of Genesis, it's a really neat story. But long story short, uh, the brothers come and they bow down before Joseph and they ask him to save them, right? Exactly what the dreams that he had were coming true. And you would think Joseph would be mad. You'd think he'd be ready to get revenge. You'd think he was going to, you know, dust them or whatever. But Joseph reveals himself and he forgives his brothers, right? And not only does he feed them, but they go back and they get the father and they bring Jacob and the whole family and they settle down in the land of Egypt and they're, they're provided for and they're cared for. And so God uses this as an opportunity to save the people of Israel through Joseph, right? Jacob thought his son was dead. Now he's alive and and Joseph is the savior, not only of Egypt, but also of the Israelites, the people that are going to become the nation of Israel. And it's just this amazing story of Joseph being on this roller coaster of terrible circumstances to great circumstances to terrible circumstances to great circumstances in the midst of all of it. In the midst of all that God is with him. Right? And when the brothers meet Joseph, like they're so nervous. They don't know how he's going to react. They think he's going to kill him or whatever. In a couple of places in the book of Genesis, this is what Joseph says about his circumstances in relationship to his brothers. Let's look at Genesis 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You meant to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, I want to examine that phrase, God intended it for good, right? I don't think that God caused Joseph to beat up his brothers and sell them into, into slavery. I don't think God caused Joseph to be human trafficked. I don't think God called Potiphar's wife to try to seduce Joseph and when he said no, to have him falsely thrown into prison. I, I don't think God caused them to do that. That's their freedom of choice. That's their freedom of will. God didn't like those circumstances. Here's what I think that passage means though when Joseph said God intended it for good. I think that God took a bad circumstance, God took a tough situation and made it better. That God was with Joseph and he worked to bring good circumstances out of the bad circumstances, right? God didn't send Joseph into slavery, God didn't send him into prison, but when Joseph found himself in slavery, when Joseph found himself in prison, God was there to bring good into his life. We see this also in the New Testament where Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. He was a first century pastor and he would start these churches and then he would write letters to the churches about pastoral kind of things. That's where we get most of the New Testament. This is what Paul writes to the church in Rome in the first century. Check this out, Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, 
God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Right? God worked for the good of Joseph when he was on top of the world, dreaming and being a favorite. But God also worked for Joseph when he was a slave, when he was falsely put into prison. Right? God was with Joseph working to bring good in his life, whether he was in good circumstances or bad circumstances. Right? God is with us in all circumstances working to bring good into our lives right god is the hero here god is the heavy lifter god's doing the hard work we just have to go along with god looking for where god is working in our lives and meeting god there and running with god right so if we need a fresh start with circumstances we need to open up our eyes and look for where god is working right so what is the point What's the big idea? What's the takeaway today? This is what I think God's saying to us in today's scripture. Your circumstances don't define you. Your response does. Your circumstances, whether they're good, whether they're bad, your circumstances don't define you. Your response does. Right? Look at what happens with Joseph. He has great circumstances. Right? He has he has terrible circumstances, but in the midst of that, God is with him. And when, and when Joseph works with God, right, that defines him, right, as a man of faith, as, as someone who, who looks for God's goodness and brings good into our lives, right? Joseph worked for that, right? He matured after, you know, his 17 years where he was kind of taunting his brothers to become this mature man of God who worked with God in Potiphar's household, who worked with God in the prison, who worked with Pharaoh in the nation of Israel, right? Your circumstances don't define you, your response does. And so I would, I would encourage you to be like Joseph, right? As we think about how we apply this into our lives, to respond with honesty and to respond with faith, right? Respond with honesty and respond with faith, right? First with honesty. It's easy to be honest with God when things are going well. Hey, God, thanks for the, the colorful coat, Lord. Thank you for the really big dreams, right? When you're going through good things like the marriages and the births and the graduations and the new jobs, right? Give God thanks for that. Enjoy those circumstances. Know that God is with you. But also in those, those tough times, right, it's okay to be honest and say, God, these circumstances are very difficult. I'm in a tough spot and I'm scared, and I'm hurting, and I don't know what's gonna happen next, Lord, and I, I need some help here. This is a horrible circumstance, right? It's okay to vent to God. It's okay to vent to other people. It's okay to lament. It's okay to be honest that some of our circumstances are fantastic, and some of our circumstances are horrendous, right? We can be honest with God. We can be honest with each other, right? But if we're in those negative circumstances, we, it's okay to be honest, but don't get stuck there, right? That's why I say then we're called to respond with faith. Again, it's easy to respond with faith when we've got the, the technicolor dream coat, right, going on. When, we, when we're on, on top of the, the, the nation of Egypt or whatever it is, when, when things are going well, it's easy to respond in faith. But those times that we're enslaved, those times that we're in prison, those times that we're abandoned, those times that we're sold out by people who are close to us, we also have to have faith. Right? We have to say, okay, God, I know you didn't cause this bad stuff to happen to me. I know that you're not rejoicing in that, but I trust that you're with me like you're with Joseph. And so, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to look for where you are. God, show me where you are. 
Where, where are you working to bring good into my life? Right? And if you can't see that for yourself, then I would invite you to ask others to help you find it. Right? Ask your family. Ask your small group. Right? Ask, ask other believers to say, hey, this is my situation. These are my circumstances. I need a fresh start. Can you help me identify where God's working to bring good into my life? And if we can't see it yet, to trust that God is working to bring good into your life, just like God worked to bring good into the life of Joseph. We respond with honesty, we respond with faith. Where could God be working to give you a fresh start in your circumstances right now? You know, another cool thing about this story of Joseph is it really foreshadows the story of Jesus. Right? Again, this is 2,000 years before Jesus is going to be born, the first book in the Bible. And think about this story again from, from Joseph's father's perspective, Jacob, right? My son, who I thought was dead, my son who was dead is now alive again, right? And he has saved the whole world, right? Through Joseph, the whole, that whole region of the world was saved, right? So his son was dead, is alive again, and through his son, everyone's been saved. That, that's a familiar story, right? That's the story of Jesus, God's son. Right? God sent Jesus to the earth. He died on a cross, right? He died, and now he's alive again. And because of Jesus... We have been saved. We can be saved, right? We can be forgiven of the wrong things that we do. Our guilt and shame can be replaced with joy and peace. We can live life to the full now on the earth, and we can live forever in the kingdom of heaven when we ask Jesus to be our Savior, right? When we turn from living without Jesus and ask for forgiveness, when we have faith in Christ and we choose to follow Jesus, right? We can have that life to the full. God's ready to give that to us. That's why Jesus came. Right? So the son who was dead is now alive again and has been here to save people. Right? So what that means is that if God, right, if God can bring something good out of the death of his own son, just imagine what God can do in your life. If God can bring life out of death, if God can bring something good out of the death of Jesus, right, his own son, Right? And that, that goodness is life to the full. That goodness is life forever in heaven. Just imagine what God can do in your circumstances. If you have been fa found favor in life, if you have found your own coat of many colors, if, if, if you have been you know, on top of the, of the heap, right? If, if you've been elevated into a position and, and things are going well, then we certainly can see God at work in our lives and we can, we can rejoice and we can give God thanks for these good circumstances, for the marriages and the births and the, and the new jobs and the financial security and, and all that sort of thing, right? We, we can give God thanks and, and thank you, Lord, for these circumstances. And the same thing is true if, if right now, if, if you feel that you've been betrayed by someone who's close to you, if you've been let down by someone that you trust or love, if, if someone has, has ripped out your heart and hurt you, if, if someone close to you has, has sold you out, God is still with you. God is still with you. If you find that yourself enslaved, right, enslaved maybe to to a bad relationship, to a, a dead-end job, if you find yourself enslaved to an addiction to alcohol or to other drugs pornography, right, then, then you can know that God is with you and is working in your life to bring goodness into your circumstances and to, and to free you from whatever it is that enslaves you. If you find yourself in prison, right, maybe it's a literal prison where your body is locked up, but your mind and your soul are not. 
Or maybe you find yourself in a, in a prison, of, again, a, a dead-end career or a dead-end job or a dead-end relationship. Right? You, you need a fresh start. If you find yourself in prison in a, in a body that's not working, you, you can't move it in the way that you wanted to. You're fighting a, a battle with a disease. Right? If you find yourself imprisoned, know that God is with you and you're not alone and God is working to bring goodness into your life, right? to bring good things into your life. If, if you feel forgotten, if you feel alone, like Joseph when he was in prison those years where he was totally forgotten right, by Pharaoh's uh, lackey, right, who Joseph helped out, if, if you feel forgotten, you feel abandoned, right, know that you're not. You're not alone. God is with you. God is working to bring goodness into your lives. Right? When, when we, even if you're facing death itself, the, the worst thing we can think of, death itself, we know that on the other side of that is eternal life, right? Eternal life forever in the glorious kingdom of heaven, right? Even in that situation, God is working to bring goodness into your life, right? Goodness into your life. If you're looking for a fresh start with your circumstances, look no further than the story of Joseph. Whether you're on the top of the roller coaster or on the bottom of the roller coaster, good circumstances, bad circumstances, God is with you and working to bring goodness into your life, to give you a fresh start with your circumstances. Your circumstances don't define you. Your response does. Respond with honesty. Respond with faith. Look for where God is working in your life and you will have a fresh start in your circumstances. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious and ever-loving God, we thank you for giving us a fresh start in our circumstances. God, for some of us, it's easy. We are on top of the world, and all is right, and we thank you for those things that are going well. For some of us, God is the complete opposite and we feel like the world is on top of us and nothing seems to be going well. And Lord, for a lot of us, we're kind of somewhere in between. We have things that are going good. We have things that are not going so well. In the midst of that, just remind us, we are not alone. You are with us and that Lord, our circumstances don't define us. Our response does. Help us respond, God, with honesty. Help us respond with faith and help us, God, to see where you are working to bring good into our lives in all circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray.